back to another episode of the ADH Dads. I'm your host, JJ. And I'm CJ, and I have COVID. <laughs> oh, sorry, brother. Yeah, you, you went on a honeymoon, you celebrated something wonderful, and then you brought something back with you. It just wasn't the souvenir you were intending to bring back, huh? Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess we're not out of the uh, the woodwork of this whole COVID uh journey that we've been on for the last couple of years uh, there was one person on this cruise that was wearing a mask and uh, i guess she had the right idea we should have followed suit <laughs> but uh it, it was worth it man we had a, a blast and really just uh celebrated love here and uh it was wonderful man i you know if covid was the price i had to pay for such a wonderful last five days i would gladly pay the price again so Oh, that's wonderful to hear, buddy. And I just want to say to the listeners, you know, we're going to break down what that process looks like, you know, keeping that love going and pursuing your your spouse through all the good, the bad, the COVID uh, in the in the coming future episodes. So uh, stick around for that one. But today uh, we have an incredibly inspiring guest on the show, uh, Grace Casper. Grace, uh, she actually became a child of divorce at age eight. By age 10, she had already written her first manuscript draft for her book. <laughs> Ever since, she's had a mission to help families through the process of divorce. She's now 24 years old and runs Divorce Tips from Kids, which involves active social media engagement, so, or sending out emails to parents, hosting her podcast, Divor Divorce, What I Wish My Parents Knew, and so much more. Uh, the podcast is kind of a first of its kind. She discusses the divorce process from the kid's perspective. As a divorced father myself and Colton being from a divorced home, we greatly appreciate Grace and her guests' bravery and courage to serve the children and parents of divorce. And Grace, she is a Baylor University alumni, which I visited that campus a couple of times when living in Austin, Texas. However, her hometown in Colorado will forever have her heart. When Grace isn't creating content about divorce, she works as a full-time elementary school librarian, which honestly is really freaking cool. And she lived in Waco, Texas with her tiny multi-poo teddy <laughs> and two of her best friends. Um, hey, Grace, I recently read your book, Dear Parents, Notes from a Child of a Divorce, and I appreciated the compassion and practicality you've shared. Um, could you uh, maybe provide us with a little bit of a bio of yourself and an overview of your book and what it meant for you um, over the years to journal and grow and what the book means for your audience? Oh my gosh, what an intro. Thank you so much, JJ. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you heard my story through that little intro there. My parents got divorced when I was eight and I wrote my first manuscript at 10. The story there was I was going to counseling at that time and um, I wrote 10 tips for my brother and I from going from house to house. So it started off as a book for kids. And then when I got to college, I realized, wait a second, the real people I want to talk to here are the parents because the parents are the ones that set the tone for the home. They're the ones that really kind of paved the way for the kids. So my book is, it's a quick read. It takes, like, depending on how fast you read, it can take an hour and a half to two and a half hours to read through in one sitting. Um, I wanted it to be accessible for all parents that are going through divorce because they have a ton of information thrown at them. And I wanted mine to be quick, uh, easy to understand with real practicals in it. So at the end of each chapter, I have what's called an action plan. And then I also have three critical thinking slash discussion questions to kind of have the parent think through as they apply all of this information to their own lives. Because one thing I try to make clear in the book is that um, this is 
this is my perspective. These are my tips as a kid going through divorce. However, every divorce situation is so, so unique um, because we're all built differently. Every story is different. So I try to really encourage and allow room for the reader to place their own story within the guardrails that I give in this book. Grace, I think that this is really a fascinating topic because, you know, divorce is probably one of the most traumatic things that we go through as a parent and as an adult, right? But what often gets lost in this is how traumatic and uh, pivotal of an experience it is for the kids that go through this. And a lot of times I feel like this gets overlooked um, by us parents because we're so in the thrall of our emotions and this traumatic thing that just happened and this disruption to this life that we've created that we get so caught up in trying to recover from that, grow from that and learn from that, that we forget that these little ones that are in this, you know, highly just emotional time of, of receiving all of this change and developing and puberty and growing and learning. And then they, they, they have this, you know, divorce thing thrown at them. And, um, you know, I think rightfully so us as parents, we're, again, we're trying to protect ourselves and learn from that and grow from that. But, you know, how do we show up for our kids here? How do we ask the right questions and what are those right questions along this process? So I'm really excited to to have you on here and to talk about what your experience looked like and, and what brought you to this, because I think it's fascinating and really great. And we need to open up more parents um, to the whole picture of, of the family unit here and what their kids are going through. So cool. Awesome. I'm glad to have you and thank you for doing this. And, you know, what did that look like for you at 10 years old to create a manuscript? Was that something that was like kind of coached by your therapist at the time? Was this something that you needed to, to do? And, and what were those tips? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thanks for saying that because I agree. Part of my huge mission here is to create space for the kids. So that's also why I have my podcast is I just want to make sure that people understand that kids have a lot to say and they are kind of looked over in the process of divorce. Um, at least like we talk about them or we are concerned about like, oh, how will this impact the kids? And we talk a lot about them, but we don't go to them as the source. And so what I like to kind of encourage parents to do is like, stop asking me what would my what would my kids prefer? Ask your kids, like, what would they prefer? And of course, it depends on age and all of that and their maturity. And there's certain things you shouldn't ask your kids. But most of the time, it just comes down to like being honest with them and letting them into the process, because more likely than not, they're already aware of what's going on and they're observing what's going on and they don't know if they're allowed to talk about it or not. And so if you can get can initiate that and let them in on it. There's a lot of safety and trust that can be built there. But going to your question about me as a 10 year old. Um, yeah, I was in counseling for anxiety that I originally thought was based in the fact that I had epilepsy. So I was afraid of having seizures again. Um, but my counselor was really wise and found that a lot of my anxiety was rooted in stuff that I saw as a kid when my parents were together. So one of the tips in my book is talking about how my family is not broken, but we're still whole and how my family is actually more whole post-divorce because I wasn't living in the kind of chaotic households that I was raised in at the beginning when they were together. Um, it was a lot more tiptoey, eggshelly, 
scary when they were together versus when they were apart. When they were apart, Jack and I, my little brother and I, we had the freedom to be all that we were. And our parents had the freedom to be all that they were as well. And so, yes, the transition of divorce was hard. Um, but again, I just really believe that it was the right decision for our family. Um, so I try to remove the stigma of that. But anyway, I keep going off rabbit trails here. But I wrote the book because my counselor said, I want you to start journaling. And she told me the power of journaling. And I just started writing out random things. And then literally, I don't know what it was, but one day I took my composition notebook out to recess. And I just thought, I'm going to write down 10 tips for my brother and I. And I didn't think it was a book. Like I just wrote out these little bullet points. And I showed it to my mom when she, when I got home and she said, she started crying and she was like, we need to show this to your counselor. And I was like, what? No, but we showed it to her and, um, she was an author and said, Grace, this has the possibility in the makings of becoming a book one day. And I was like, no way. Like I am not an author, blah, blah, blah. I'm only in fifth grade. Like this is crazy. Um, but through a lot of trial and error and a lot of rejection from, publishing companies and just other people in the business. Um, I finally stuck to it and revisited the book as a 22 year old at the time, and then started writing from adult Grace's perspective, who is still a child of divorce. And those older words and the words that are the majority of the book um, is 22, 23, 24 year old me. And then at the back of the book is the appendix with the original fifth grade voice um, from little me. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it was built. But I love that question. Thanks for asking. Yeah, that that's a beautiful thing to to be able to revisit that. And, you know, when, when you've experienced divorce as a, as a young kid um, and then having to uh, to go through the process of therapy and writing your thoughts down and what that means for your message to your brother, I'm sure that that evolved over the years, like you said, and now you you revisited that and wrote the book that you have today. Um, I'm curious about uh, when that conversation started. You know, when you were feeling those feelings of anxiety and understanding yourself more. Um, do you do you have uh, like some thoughts around the idea of the conversation of parents toward their kids when they do have that? final decision to make that separation. Are there things that we we parents do well or do very poorly when it comes to having that real conversation with our kids? Yes. <laughs> um, again, I could not highlight, not to like plug here, but I couldn't highlight my podcast more, not because of me, but because of my guests. There's so many stories of just unfortunate, bad situations where the parents didn't communicate well. I'll give an example. One was, this is probably the most sad to me, but it was Christmas morning and the mom came down hysterically crying and the kids were like, what's going on? And then the dad just packed up all of his stuff and just walked out of the house. Nothing was said. They don't know what happened. And it took a couple of weeks then for mom to finally get herself together and say, well, obviously you saw dad moved out. We're getting a divorce, blah, blah, blah. And so just a lot of, um, I, I think the thing that could go wrong is allowing the kids to see too much and then not letting them in enough. So it's this weird line that you have to kind of balance as parents. But I think the, the ground rules are just 
being open about what's happening, not saying like, oh, me and dad are just going through this bump in the road, but like, we still are best friends and we love each other and you won't ever see them that much. But rather like letting them in on the reality of what's happening without exposing too many details that aren't appropriate for kids. Um, one of the big questions I get asked a lot is should mom and dad both sit down and tell the kid about the process of going through divorce or should it just be one conversation with mom, one conversation with dad? And to that, I would say do what you think is best with your dynamic and what would be healthy for you and your family. Um, I know kids felt a little bit exhausted by having two conversations about that. It's like you're at mom's house and mom explains what's happening. Then you go to dad's house and then dad's like, by the way, we're going through divorce. It's like, well, yeah, mom already told me. And it's like, well, let me say my side of things. And so it would be a lot better if there was a uniform discussion where both mom and dad could sit all the kids down and say, this is what's happening. And um, this doesn't determine how much we love you. This doesn't determine your worth or this isn't your fault. But this is just something that we're doing for the best of our family. More than likely, the kids are observing your relationship enough to know like this was coming. A lot of things I've heard in my podcasts are the kids are like almost relieved when they hear the news because they're like there, there was such trauma beforehand that knowing that they're separating is almost like a like an exhale. But then after that exhale relief, it's now like, oh, shit, what does that look like logistically? Like what is going to happen to me? So, um, yeah. I have a question. You know, what what advice do you give to couples that are struggling with what is the right amount of information to give? Do we get into specifics? Have you felt in your experience thus far in doing your podcast or talking with people that maybe withholding of some information could be beneficial? And before you answer, I'm, I'm only thinking of this through my own personal experience because, um, you know, my, my, my father and my stepmother were together before he met my, my mother. Um, something happened. I don't know what the specifics of, but you know, that didn't work out. My, my dad ended up meeting my mom and they got married, um, and had me and got divorced all within a four year span. And when they got separated, my dad went back to my stepmom and they have been together for the last 27 years. Um, and I've never known the details of that story. Um, but you know, my curiosity as a, as a kid trying to understand my relationship with my dad and my stepmom and my mom and the relationship between my mom and my dad and my mom and my stepmom and what that's been like over the years, I've always been curious as to what those details were, but I haven't been wanting to pry because there has been trauma and, and, and anger and resentment that have built up over the years. And it wasn't until um, we had our parents here for our, our wedding celebration before our honeymoon that um, I got to have a little bit more of those discussions and, and pry a little bit into the specifics and details of it and got a little bit of a more clear understanding at what that was like. But, you know, 30 years I had been sitting there going, what is going on here? Why is this relationship like this? I wish I knew more. I wish I could understand this. I wish I knew the details. And now I, I found this out and as 36 years old, I'm, I'm wondering what, 
what that information could have looked like as a younger kid trying to understand why there maybe was resentment between certain people or certain dynamics that were playing out that I didn't have the maturity or understanding to fully comprehend at the time. So I just kind of wonder like, you know, what, what your thoughts are on, on sharing some of those, those details. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thanks for sharing that. That's so good. I, I think what's interesting is you're 36. You just got married. You're like a grown man. At the same time, you will always be a child to your parents. And so, um, Uh-oh, did, we lose did Grace? I freeze up on you? CJ's frozen. Okay. I think do we're, you hear me? we're, I do now. I think we leveled out. So we'll cut that part. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and take over, uh, saying what you, you were saying again. Okay. I'll just start over because I don't know what part cut out, but basically I think it's wonderful that you, that you shared that CJ, because uh, you will always be a child of divorce and you will always be a child to your parents. So even though you're a grown man, who's 36, who's married, um, you're still a child of divorce and your perspective still matters. And so to that question of, you know, what should we share? I just did an interview recently with someone who's 19 and his biggest tip he wanted to tell parents was, um, to not volunteer information, but to wait for your kids to ask. And I think that's a really good rule of thumb because you're, you're letting some people debate about whether or not to let the kids have the driver's seat as to when you talk about things. But I almost think let them have the driver's seat with boundaries. So like, you know, your kid best, if they're asking for details about what happened you know if they can handle the information or not. You know your kid best. Um, and then to also share that information with truth, you don't need to sugarcoat it. Like you can be honest, but not tagging your opinion along with it, um, which can be very hard for parents. You can, you can share the fact and say, you know, dad cheated on me, but it's gonna be really hard to say dad cheated on me and it sucked and he's the worst and you shouldn't love him and blah, blah, blah. But just say the fact of dad cheated on me. I didn't think that was okay. We got a divorce, but he's still a wonderful man. It doesn't determine how much he loves you or his character, anything. And so I think that can be really difficult for sure for parents. That's probably one of the biggest questions that parents ask. And I think it's wonderful because it shows me that they're willing to ask themselves, what is best for my child? Um, but I think what's best is to avoid alienation. So not manipulating your kids to think the other co-parent is evil um, or that they shouldn't form a relationship with them because of what that co-parent might have done to you to hurt you. But then also respecting what your kids are asking. If your kids want to know what happened and you think they're mature enough to handle it, then tell them. Like if they're in high school, I think that they're allowed to know what happened. High school age, you're learning about sex you're partying you know most things you know all the cuss words already and and they're ready to hear about like real life but only if they ask for it don't just assume like oh they're in high school i bet they want to hear everything i would still wait for them to come to you and say you know um i'm always wondering what actually happened could you tell me and then i think it's okay to tell them um, I interviewed a 25-year-old child of divorce who his parents just got divorced at 25. And he's been wondering, like, what the heck went down? And not just why are they divorcing now, but when did this start? Have they always wanted a divorce? Did they wait till I grew up? Like, he has all these questions. And now he's feeling guilty thinking, did they wait for me to move out to 
do this thing or is this a recent thing? So I just think it's it's best to clear the air and also it's better to clear it earlier in the kids' lives so then they can actually get the appropriate help they need in counseling and say, hey, I recognize this, this, and this went down in my family and I need help. And then they can attack it earlier before, you know, getting help for it in their 50s when they finally realize, oh, wait, dad had three girlfriends? I didn't know that. Or like mom was verbally abusive to dad? I didn't know that. Um, so yeah, tricky question, but that's my little piece. <laughs> yeah, I think it can be a, a, a difficult thing and, you know, ages, ages do matter. Um, when, when we got divorced, my, my kiddo was two. Um, so the conversation surrounding divorce was, was very simple and, you know, mommy, uh, moved out and, uh, we now have the opportunity to celebrate each other's relationship when he's with me and when he's with mom and, and we, uh, you know, his mom and I, we worked really well together to form that, that true co-parenting relationship. Because one thing I, I try to promote, uh, when I've talked to other guys who in similar situations is we use that co part of the conversation regularly. You know, we co-created something with somebody that we chose. We chose our kiddo's mom we chose to go into parenting relationship with this person. We co-created a beautiful family and then we co-created the dismantling of that family as well. And some of those pieces are a little bit big and confusing and hard for a kid to understand. And even that conversation surrounding we're getting a divorce, that's, that's really difficult for a kid at any age, but it can only be that much more confusing, I would imagine, if we talk to them and say, you know, we both still love you and uh, nothing's going to change. Well, everything's changed. You know, we've just split that up. And that was a co-created effort. So to have those conversations about what it looks like, especially, dare I suggest, when that co-creation of the dismantling is probably a different story from one person to the next. The last thing I believe we would want to do is try to suggest to our kids who we love dearly this is my proof for why I am doing this and why I am in apparently the higher position in this matter of conflict between me and your co-parent. Instead, it should be like Fred Rogers uh, was asked a question about uh, how do you have difficult conversation with kids? And he said, um, when questions are asked of me and it's asked of me usually by a young kid because he focused primarily with young kids is to ask a question in return to really allow our kids to kind of open up their minds to what's going on inside their heads. So instead of just giving answers in the earlier stages, I believe trying to question and help them gently along their own path to understanding rather than trying to tell them, this is how you need to understand it. I believe that kind of fosters that, that healthy relationship as much as possible going forward as they're still in that state of confusion. But I really appreciate it. As you said too, is when they grow up, you know, you can answer questions and hopefully by that point, we're not just trying to hammer in our proofs that we believe we have in our heads, whereas somebody else is trying to tell us a different story or tell them a different story. Um, when I when I first got to, uh, when I was actually approaching divorce with my uh, co-parent, I realized at that moment, there was a great opportunity for me to really focus in on that relationship with my son and how do I best serve him? One of the things that I believed in that process was through serving him, I'm also serving his mom. And I also need to serve her to serve him. 
Um, so the, the, the differences that we went through, the, the hardships we experienced, those aren't things that we need to carry forward. Sure, we're hurting and we're trying to heal, but the path to forgiveness does not look like punching your bitterness into the, you know, into the ground and hoping that the soil becomes softened. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. It's so true. Like my friend, Bella Duncan, who's also a child of divorce, she always says having a respect for your co-parent is having a respect for your kid. And that's just true. Like we're not asking you two to be BFFs. We're not asking you to erase the past. We're just saying like, respect that you once loved this person and that you ended up creating a kid with them. Respect that this is your co-parent and whether you like it or not, your kid shares their blood and, and you need to be considerate of that other person. Um, but another thing I want to highlight is, is to, I love what you said when you said, don't say like, oh, everything is going to be perfect. It's not going to change at all. Like, no, it is going to change. And so it's, there's a way of comforting your kid with knowing that they're safe and that they're loved, but also being real and saying like, no, and not just living in la la land, but actually being real and saying, this is going to be a change. It's going to be hard. There's going to be moments where I mess up and I need you to call me out. There's going to be moments where your dad messes up and you can call him out and empowering your kids to recognize that the parents are human. You guys have never done this before. You're trying your very best and um, you don't want to ever intentionally hurt your kid, but just like acknowledging to yourself, like, wow, I am human and I'm going to mess up. Cause I think so, so many parents are like, I don't want to mess up and I don't want to screw up my kid. And I'm like, I'm sorry to say this, but you better start your savings account now for counseling. Like I had a saint of a mother. She was perfect. She is so beautiful. I love her. But were there some things that could have been different? Yeah. Did she parentify me a little bit without knowing it? Yeah. But I love her to death and she tried her best and she didn't know any better. And so I just think, you know, there's a lot of freedom in acknowledging I will mess up and it's going to be okay. Um, and just leaving room in your family for forgiveness is huge. I love what you talked about there at the tail end of there's no way to just be like, I'm going to just stop being better. And I just need to let this go. It's like, no, forgiveness is acknowledging that that thing that happened doesn't have power over you anymore. Yes, it happened. Yes, it hurt. But you're not claiming power over that thing anymore. And you can walk in freedom, letting that go and moving on to what's next for you and your child and your new family dynamic. So what are the things that kids feel like they're missing out on during this process? What, what are kids communicating that they wish were done different or, or that they wish they had during this process? I think for many kids, they're missing out on the innocence of childhood where they, their only job is to be a kid. Their only job is to do well in school. Their only job is to complete their homework or make friends or, you know, things like that. When you're a child of divorce, I don't know if you felt this way, CJ, but um, when you're a child of divorce, it's almost like, and again, this was not intentional by my parents at all, but we take on the balancing of both parents without even realizing it. And we have to mature quicker. And now all of a sudden we're thinking more about adult things rather than just being kids. 
Um, and we're thinking, oh my gosh, is dad happy right now? I know mom did this. Oh, is mom happy? Right? Mom wants me to send a message to dad about this. But wait, no, I can't talk about that because she said, don't say that to your father. So I'm going to be quiet there. And you just have like this higher level of thinking. And every child of divorce I meet is like this. They're more mature. They're more empathetic. Um, because they've had to be this peacekeeper within both homes their whole lives and manage so much that other kids just didn't have to manage or worry about. So I think that's one of the things that they lose and that they have to mourn um, through the divorce, but through awesome co-parents who are going to be explicit with talking to them and say directly, you are not responsible for my happiness. I am going to be okay when you go to dad's house, Um, you know, Uh, just uh, giving them permission to be a kid and say, you know, the only thing you need to worry about is if you finished your homework tonight, you don't need to worry if your dad's okay or if mom's okay, you know, and just really reminding them of those things. Um, I think that would have helped me and would have helped a lot of other kids of divorce too. If their parents just explicitly just said it instead of walking around and being like, you're, you're happy, right? Are you feeling okay? Just sitting down and being direct and saying like, man, I've noticed that you've been taking on a lot, but we've never asked you to take that on. And it's not your job. You're a kid. You're only 12 years old. And I just want you to worry about being 12, you know? So that's my little pulpit preacher there moment. (laughs) Yeah. I I think you're, you're right on it. Cause I think the big miss that a lot of that we miss as parents here is again, the, the, the pressure that our kids are on going through this. And we don't even understand that a lot of times because we're so caught up in, in our, our experience of this journey. And I'm thinking of when I was a kid, you know, again, my parents were divorced when I was two. So that's all I really knew. You know, I don't remember them together. I just remember the dynamics of them apart. And a lot of my existential crisis and pressure that I put on myself is, is being responsible for their emotions, you know well, mom's alone. Is she going to be okay? She needs somebody in her life, you know, and, 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 you know, who am I going to go stay with for the summer? I'm going to miss Christmas here. Dad's going to be sad that I'm not with him this Christmas. He always wants me for Christmas and, but I got to go see mom, you know, or, and who I, maybe I don't want to live with dad. I want to go live with mom. How do I have that conversation? What does that look like? What is he, dad going to think of me? Is mom even going to want me? All of these things in my head all the time alongside of all the pressures of growing up, you know, and, and I don't remember my parents being too intentional or or present for, for my experience as a kid. No, no fault to them. You know, again, we're all human going through these experience, trying to figure out these intense emotions that we're having. But I, again, I just think that it's worth addressing as we talk about this, because I think so many kids are feeling so much that aren't communicated with their parents or that their parents aren't taking the time to ask them about because they don't know. You know, so I think that really like getting in touch with our kids experience, too, and and asking the right questions and and not having guilt or shame put on them because of what they're feeling or what they want, you know, um, is vitally important. One thing I say in my book, and I forget the real sentence, but it was something along the uh, along the lines of like uh, kids don't always need the answers. They just want to be heard. And so the best thing you can do, like JJ was saying earlier, is just like ask them curious questions like, ah, what is that like for you to go back and forth? I wonder. And then let them respond and then ask another like, 
wow, I wonder, does that make you feel this way? And just a genuine curiosity into what they're experiencing without your own agenda, without trying to like lead them to this certain conclusion, but just this open conversation of genuine curiosity of what's happening within their internal world. Uh, the uh, the thing that that I I just grabbed from the last couple uh, exchanges there too that I, I I like to highlight is that you know you mentioned parentification, um, and you know when when parents are going through a divorce and they're experiencing essentially like the childhood traumas resurfacing um, and getting them to the point of you know butting heads to the point where they are separating and now are working through the insecurities and immaturities that brought them to this point. And you said, you know, the kids start to see that and something within just naturally tends to call kids to be more mature, to grow up quicker. That's a lot of pressure on a kid. And dare I suggest too, um, the line between, you know, caring for your kids and codependency can be really thin. So the shift from being married to your best friend to being parents to then being single parent, I've heard, I've heard too many times that I've not counted, but too many times to count, I would say, um, the, the statement, my kids always come first. Um, that's a kind of a, to me, suggests a, a dangerous statement or burden to place on your children. Um, if you say, you know, I love you, you're, you know, you are the number one person that I, that I know in this world. Um, I think that that's okay. But when you say my kids always come first, or you just word it in a way that suggests that, you know, Hey, you're my number one. I want a reciprocation here that puts the kids into a place of asking too much to be the emotional crutch. And then that re leads to possibly like the parentification and, and needing your child to bring you happiness, or at least that's the message that I tend to hear in that. And that gives me a little concern um, from your experience yeah. and from hearing other stories of parents' divorce. Like, where do you see this line being crossed into codependency from parents to their kids, where their words and their actions suggest that their children make their life meaningful? And how can a parent avoid that? Oof. Oh my gosh. Good one. Um, I want to, also say with that, that this doesn't just apply to divorced parents. It can apply to any parent-child relationship. I have a close friend who his parents are together and he still filled the role to his mom that I filled for my mom, um, which was the emotional crutch that you're talking about. And it it's funny because I hear the, the saying, um, like my, well, okay. So I'll just tell you my story. Here we go. Uh, in counseling, we would talk a lot about things with both of my parents. And then one time my counselor said, today, I just want to talk about you and your mom. And I was like, why? Like, we're, we're best friends. She's like, that's why I want to talk about you and your mom. And I was like, what? And I thought it was awesome for me and my mom to be best friends. I thought it was so normal that I knew all of her drama. I knew everything. I was so much sure I could always give her the best advice. And I thought like that was my job. It was the best thing ever. And then I learned that there was complete enmeshment there. So the two terms that I feel like parents could research is enmeshment and triangulation, um, where the, the child is between the two and filling this emotional role. My friend whose parents are still together, he filled the emotional role of being basically the husband for his mom. He was 
like low key, the emotional husband, because the dad was always gone on business trips, didn't really ever fully listen to his wife. So she leaned on her son. And sure enough, her son saw the sadness in his mom and was like, oh, she needs me and stepped up to the plate and was his mom's emotional crutch. And now he's having a hard time learning how to date in a healthy way, learning how to let her go with boundaries, learning that her life is her own. He can't control it. He's not in charge of the decisions she makes. And um, that's really hard. And so I would say that if you're going to your kid for advice about adult matters or advice on how to parent the other siblings, that's a red flag. You need to stop right there and you need to call a friend or a sibling or a counselor. You are not supposed to go to your children about those matters. That's where the enmeshment comes in. Um, that's where the child then thinks, wow, she, she or he can't handle this on their own. I guess I need to step up to the plate and take over. Um, and that can cause some really tricky things down the road and a lot of attachment problems for their future relationships. And so again, it's not out of, it's not out of a malice heart. It's not out of wanting to be controlling. It's just, I get it. You're lonely and you want to talk to someone and your kid is so sweet and they listen so well and they want to help you and they have really good advice. But even if they have really good advice, they're not supposed to be the ones to hear this. And they're your kid. They're not your counselor. They're not your emotional crutch. So I'm really glad you brought that up, JJ. Yeah, and I would imagine that uh, that pressure on children uh, would be so difficult, um, even in, let's say, a, a, a household where the parents stay together. If the love between two parents now gets shifted where, you know, their children are the most important person in their lives and it's expressed in that way, when the children move out of the house, you know, the, the, the message sent to them is, you know, uh, you've been my number one you know, now go out and to the world, but remember I'm your number one. What is that going to do for their relationship moving forward when I've been told for so long, no, I'm that person's number one. I, how do I, how do I, how do I meet and date somebody? And what if I have kids, am I going to tell my spouse? Well, now we've had kids. So you, you know, you take a back seat, the kids are the number one. And then that cycle continues. And that attachment issue is, is forever, you know, uh, in that cycle. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we do this all the time too, even not in divorce settings, right? Um, I'm thinking about, you know, my favorite book, JJ Scream, Free Parenting, <laughs> which I always reference, you know, and, and I think when I read this book and it was talking about a section of how we give our kids the responsibility over our emotions sometimes, you know, in like a sense of, uh, well, if you stop acting like that, then I'll stop yelling. You know, um, it puts a lot of responsibility on the on this kid that doesn't know how to emotionally regulate when we're supposed to be the mature adult ones that are supposed to teach them how to emotionally regulate. And now all of a sudden we're telling them, you need to stop doing this so that I can get my emotions into check. You know, and I read that in that book and it hit me like a brick in the face. It was like, oh, my God, I do this all the time. I, you know, and it's not malicious, like you say, it's not even intentional, you know, it's just me trying to rein in my emotions and process what's going on in the, the, the heat of all this, you know, high, high emotions. And we just miss the ball sometimes, you know, and, and that's why I think it's really important that we slow down as parents, um, to 
reformulate how we want to ask a question to really pause to think about what the right words are to to formulate that question and how it's going to resonate with our our kiddos who don't have all the information experience terminology and verbiage that we have as in our mature selves so we have to be the ones to pause slow down and reevaluate here you know um because our kids are humans and they do want to protect us as parents whether that's subconscious intention or not we all want to protect the ones that we love right and we again as the mature older parents have to realize that that's a dynamic that's going to take play and we have to be ever so conscious about putting these sentences together and asking the right questions for our kids so that they don't feel that they need to take on the responsibility of fixing my emotions as the parent yeah I love, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of her, but there's a girl named Dr. Becky at Good Inside. She does this podcast. Love her. And I think it comes back, CJ, to those two things of your job as a parent is to um, is to remind them that they're safe and meet like their physical needs and emotional needs and hear them out. And then also to set boundaries. And so if your child's having a fit and you're like, if you would just calm down, I would stop yelling. That's not really coming at it from a, I'm keeping you safe, but rather saying something like, man, it's really making me sad that you're upset right now. And my job's just to keep you safe. And I can't let you touch the hot stove because that's not going to keep you safe and you're going to get a burn. And so you're setting that boundary still and recognizing, like you said, with the kids, they don't have fully developed brains. Like, hello, you're asking, you're an adult who has a fully developed brain and you're asking this little human who doesn't even have the fully developed parts of their brain yet for processing and emotions and you're asking them to come up to your level, like that's not fair. And so I think remembering too, even though you can't see it on their faces, you have to remind yourself like, okay, they're a kid. Like I'm a teacher and sometimes I have to tell myself the kids I'm teaching are under 11 years old. They are under 11, even though they act like teenagers and they're doing like their TikTok dances and they act all sassy. I have to remind myself, you have the brain of a nine-year-old. You do not have the capacity to understand what I'm trying to talk to you about right now. And I need to lower my emotions and say, okay, I'm talking to a nine-year-old who thinks that they're 16, but they're a nine-year-old. And just being real with yourself about you know, they're a kid and, and they need that extra space and that extra emotion to be let out and giving them that safe space to just blah. And then when they calm down and everyone's at a better range, meeting together and saying, okay, what just went down there? Let's talk about it. <laughs> I love, I love that, that uh, Good Inside uh, book by Dr. Becky. Um, when, uh, when my kiddo who has ADHD gets his impulses going and he's overwhelmed in the state of upset, sometimes we have to address it and then he'll get really hard on himself and he'll even say, I'm just so stupid. And, and just being able to reframe and give him that space for saying, you know, that, that does sound really hard kiddo. I'm, uh, you know, I'm sorry that, that that's your feeling on that. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure that feeling's very real. And then reminding him the simple statement, you know, uh, I, I know you're good inside. You're, you're just, you're a good kid who's having a tough time is, is something that I think parents need to hammer home is, is not focusing in so much on the infraction that takes place, but more the emotional feeling behind that and giving a lot of power to the fact that that feeling is real and it can be expressed and it should be, it should be acknowledged. Um, too often we just focus on the action and that gets 
everybody in trouble, including the parent who apparently is triggered in that moment and is now asking the kid to regulate them because they're incapable of being able to handle that situation when their kid is feeling a little bit stressed and out of control. Um, so I, I really appreciate circling around that. Um, that resource has been vital to me and helping my kiddo who, you know, like I said, he has ADHD. Um, and I think there's extra impulse, you know, stuff that, that occurs, um, with his behaviors, but in no way does that limit his ability to feel and express his emotions. In fact, um, you know, kind of leading into the next point I wanted to bring up, that's really hard is, is, uh, you know, I, I do think sometimes parents also tend to not give their kids enough credit for their own ability to work through their thoughts and feelings of, you know, what it means to go from one house to the next. And I say that because my son, who's seven years old, just very recently said, you know, um, if dad, if, if you and, and mommy and me lived together, we could see each other every single day. And when he says that stuff, I know he's been thinking about those, those things and he's trying to process that. And he'll tell me um, many times, uh, you know, he misses mommy and he wants to see mommy. And, and I believe when people, uh, parents are in a tough place where they're experiencing this insecurity about themselves, I think they can find themselves triggered in those moments when their child is probably expressing you know, a, a real bond that, that exists between um, the kiddo and their other parent. And they trust their parent that they're with at the moment enough to be able to express that, which I think is a, a beautiful thing, something that should be, you know, praised and handled with care and compassion. And uh, too often, I think, is the problem where uh, parents they get that trigger and they don't know how to handle it. So one thing I wanted to say, Grace, is I really love in your book where you you talk about the concept of the three column list, where you know you you list out uh, in one column things that my co-parent does, um, the next column how they serve our kids, and then the third column like things I can do for our kids. Because encouraging and praising the positive relationship with my son has with his mother is incredibly important to me. For example, she indicated recently that they're going on a special trip before the school year starts. And I told her that's going to be amazing. Cohen's going to love that. I'm so excited for that. And then Cohen and I went to visit Colton and his family and went to Disneyland. And I sent her pictures of Cohen having a great time. And she replied, thanking, for, thanking me for giving him those wonderful memories. So I guess the question I have for you, Grace, is what are some things parents can do when they're struggling with their feelings of insecurity surrounding the other parent and seeing it as a competition rather than quality time? That is a good one. Uh, here's the thing. I can offer my advice, but I also want to say again, I have never been a parent. <laughs> so I can say, you know, this, this and that, but I definitely don't want to try and be cocky here and go into other lanes that aren't mine. I am a child of divorce. I've never been a parent. I've been a teacher and I feel like a parent sometimes as the teacher role. Um, but yeah, but I have noticed that when the parent does that, it affects the kids in a very poor way to where the kid doesn't want to talk about the good time that they had at Disneyland with dad to mom, because mom always reacts the same way of, Oh, so he can take you to Disneyland and me taking you to the library, like, isn't as fun or, you know, just using it as ammo um, where the kid is like, ouch. Okay. I guess I'm never going to tell you again about the fun time I had at dad's. Cause you always turn it around to you. And so I love what you said, JJ, because I think it's true. The way that your kid said, man, I miss mommy. And he felt comfortable to say that in front of you. Like, hello, that's a huge compliment to you. 
And it just shows that he felt safe with you. He could trust you and he could know that he could express that emotion without you retaliating or being like, oh, well, do you ever miss me? Or like, you know, coming back with something about you again. And so I think, again, a huge part of the parenting gig from what I hear is a lot of humility, especially with co-parenting, just humility, 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 and understanding your child has a relationship with your co-parent and that's okay. And praise God that they do because they need both parents and, um, and it, letting them have that without it being a competition. And I love what you said, JJ, like acknowledging again, the good parts about what your co-parent offers your child. And the example I give in my book is my dad, he had a lot more money than my mom. And so I got really like rich, lavish experiences with my dad, where I got to try new foods and expand my palate and see parts of the world. And that was really cool. And it definitely helped me grow and develop in ways that my mom couldn't provide. However, my mom provided some pretty bomb ass meals that were like homemade and so good. And she provided the best hugs and she watched my chalk art on the driveway. And like, those are the things that my dad just can't do as well. Um, And he knows that. And so I think letting you have your own lanes with the kids and not trying to be the other thing, like, well, your dad brought you to Disneyland, so I need to bring you to Disneyland. Or your mom makes the best brownies, so now I have to figure out how to make the best brownies. Like, let them have their own lanes and respect each other's lanes. Well, what yeah. do you tell the parents then when the kids are expressing some of that? Because you you kind of talked about how sometimes parents can fall into that trap of comparing their role to the co-parent's role. But, you know, kids sometimes do that too. You know, uh, we get a lot of well, daddy's better because daddy lets me do this. Daddy lets me do that. We don't have the rules at daddy's house. So daddy's better, you know, and though I feel my wife and I have a pretty good, um, you know, uh, uh, response to that and, and exploring that with our daughter, instead of just being, well, I did this, or you you should love me more because of this, you know, we don't do that, but I'm curious as to maybe what that looks like in other families or what you tell parents that are feeling a little bit of, well, my, my kid seems to like co-parent more or complains that I'm not, or that they are not, or, you know, how do we rectify that? What do those conversations look like with our little ones about those kind of dynamics? Oh, that's hard. So then again, yeah, swallow the humility pill and be like, ouch. Okay. Hurts. Um, but don't tell your child like, ouch, that really hurts. But instead, just acknowledge them and say, wow, okay, I hear you. I hear that you think dad's house is more fun and that I have hard rules. But that's at daddy's house and we're at mommy's house. And unfortunately, when you're in mommy's house, you have to follow my rules. I don't make these rules to be mean. I don't make them so you won't have fun. I make them to keep you safe and to let you have boundaries to know what you're supposed to do and and that's hard when you're telling that to a young kid and a seven-year-old but I think the two main points are just to acknowledge their feelings and not say not try to change the way they feel about it but then reminding them your role in their life and saying well at, at this house it looks different and I'm sorry if you don't like that that's just the way it is and it's out of love and it's out of care and then maybe giving them some options like well what do you think that we could do that would make it better and turning it to them and asking them a question in return like what could we do at my house to make it feel more fun since you're not feeling like this house is very fun anymore and if they say something stupid like like you know ice cream for dinner you could say well you know 
that's a great idea. But unfortunately, again, I have to keep you safe and you need nutrition for your body. So we're going to eat normal dinner, but maybe we can eat dessert after and still like taking their ideas into consideration with their little sweetie brains and then maybe altering the idea and using collaboration to make it a safe idea and a healthy choice for them. I have one more question. I'm sorry, JJ, I'm, I'm cutting you off, but I want to, I want to ask this uh, selfishly before um, we start wrapping things up and I forget that I wanted to ask this. Uh, but, you know, I'm curious what, at what point for you as a kid during this process, were you okay with the divorce? Because I feel like a lot of kids struggle with the one day mommy and daddy will be back together again, you know, and I'm just, and I, again, I'm speaking from my own personal experience as we just celebrated our, our ceremony with the kids and then went on a honeymoon. And the few weeks leading up to that, um, you know, we had been talking about marriage with the kids for years, uh, me being a stepdad coming into this picture with three kids in the picture. You know, we, we had been very communicative about that process. But um, once we got to the, the last two weeks of it, we could see a little bit of apprehension and hesitation and confusion from our oldest, who's eight years old. I don't want you and Coley to get married, because then that means that there's no chance for mommy and daddy to get back together again. And she loves me dearly. I think that we have a beautiful, beautiful relationship, the two of us. It's not something that I'm, I'm taking personally, you know, but... And that's something that I felt a lot in my childhood too, as, as a child of divorce from my parents were divorced from two, I carried that a lot well into my teen years. When will mommy and daddy be back together? Even though I had a stepmom, even though that's basically the dynamic that I had known, you know, I still carried that with me. So I'm curious as to, was there a point that maybe you let that go? And what were the things that helped you with that? Or what did conversations look like between parents and kids to help them with that process? Um, this question is hard because... <coughs> so sorry. This question is so hard because there's not an easy answer and there's not a fix it for it. The fix it is just time and maturity. Um, for me, I was able, I never wanted my parents to get back together because I saw them when they were together and it was so tumultuous that when they got separated, I was like, thank God. Um, and so for you being a two-year-old who never really remembers them together, of course you're like, well, why don't you guys get divorced? And especially if they're doing co-parenting well and they seem like civil about it. It's like, well, y'all seem to get along. Why don't you just be together? Um, and that's one thing where, again, I think it takes time and maturity for the kid to then realize as they're then turning into teenagers and they see how relationships work and they're trying dating and they're like, wait a second. Okay. Oh, you didn't stay with them because you guys don't get along anymore or you fell out of love or you got an affair you can't say those things to a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old. And so um, I think acknowledging their need for unity is really beautiful because kids want black and white. They want unity. It's what they're fed in all their media too. Like Disney, it's all perfect cutie families. Um, and I think acknowledging like, wow, yeah, I love, I love that you want, you know, unity, but this is a new way of looking unified and and daddy needs to be happy just as much as you need to be happy 
and unfortunate and just again not to be rude but telling them the truth again and just sitting them down saying unfortunately mommy and daddy will never get back together again however you will always have a relationship with mom you will always have a relationship with dad um and you can throw in like the we're still friends thing but i just think it's just a hard one you kind of just have to experience the growing pains in and it won't get better until they're old enough to really comprehend like okay that was a healthy decision for our family yeah i'm you know i think uh the conversations when we have those moments are you know, you said earlier in the podcast of maybe trying to address or exemplify the dynamics that didn't work, you know, um, and that's kind of the direction that I see my wife going when these conversations arise, you know, well, you, you notice that daddy and mommy fought a lot, right? And, you know, we don't fight anymore now that we're separated. Sometimes people get along better when they're not so close together. So, you know, me and daddy don't fight anymore. And, you know, Coley and I don't fight. And it's not, I don't know if that's the right approach because there's the story I'm telling myself is that there may be some comparative aspects there that I, that I want to maybe try to shy away from. I don't want to ingrain in her head, like mommy and Coley are better than mommy and daddy were, you know, but I do think it's important to delicately navigate the conversations of well, can you maybe see how this isn't right rather than me telling you, you know? And I think that that's important for her. And when my wife asks, you know, do you see how well me and daddy worked now that we're not together and how we worked when we were together and letting our eight-year-olds come up with that conclusion rather than my wife just telling her why it was so bad, you know? <clears throat> but I also, again, like to say, like, what kind of ways can we do this without comparing that we don't fight and that they fought, you know, because I feel like there may be some negative connotation there that may suggest that we are suggesting that we're better than, or that daddy isn't as good as because we have this figured out or, or I, I don't, I don't know if I'm making sense, you know, but it's just a very tricky conversation that we have in our, in our um, household to defend mama and me's love and also protect daddy without you know demeaning him in any sort of way during this process yeah that's that's just something that now if someone had the answer to that they'd be a best you know selling author that book would be so famous right now and i think that's what it is it's just we don't have the answer life can be hard life cannot have perfect answers um, and that's, what's tricky about it. There's not a formula. There's not the right speech to say to your kids. You just kind of have to experience the growing pains of dysfunction and, and, um, and reunifying with somebody new. And I don't know, I, it's tricky, but I think what's so beautiful about it is you guys are so aware of what you're saying to your daughter and you want what's best for her. And I really believe if you have those two things in mind, it's all going to be okay. And she's going to grow to know that um, you guys have her best interest. And uh, yeah, I think that's beautiful the way you and your wife are going about that. 
Well, I thought it was beautiful what you just said, that this isn't a perfect process and that there is no end-all, be-all, and that there is no best-selling book. There are books that we can read and we can arm ourselves with this information, but there's no perfect process that's going to work 100% for everybody. And, you know, our families are unique and individual and and rare, and um, it's an opportunity to forge a path that has never been forged before. You know, we don't have to walk the cookie-cutter layout of what a perfect process of divorce looks like. We can figure that out in our own family dynamic. Um, and that just takes like respect, patience and love and, and curiosity. It's so good. I, I wanted to just highlight, you know, one of the things that uh, I believe is true for a majority of the Families that are no longer together, um, parents are no longer together, is that at one point uh, the parents did celebrate the other person in so many ways. And now, now the child continues to want to celebrate those things about their mom and their, those things about their dad. And just being able to witness that and be compassionate to it and to encourage that, I think, is, is something that we don't want to lose sight of. Because if there's a story that we're telling ourselves about where this thing landed, where it ended up, and it looks a certain way in our head, it doesn't have to look that way in our kids' heads. Our kids have heroes in front of them, and they look up to us daily. And man, is it a gift to be able to praise and uh, encourage that same relationship with the other parent because that person is truly special. And we saw that, you know, there was a point where that was, that was the person I know I'm choosing you. You are remarkable. And this kid sees you that way. That's something to just be grateful for. I know not everybody has that, but I think the majority of situations um, do have that opportunity. And uh, if you do have that opportunity, seize that because your kids are going to turn out so much better for it. And that, you know, they will probably go to, they will probably go to counseling to talk about you and that's okay because that's part of our journey. Yeah. I'm excited for my kids to go to counseling one day and say, man, mom messed up. And I'm going to say, yeah, I did, but you know what? I try my best. <laughs> so... Well, thank you, Grace, so much for this conversation. Um, I really got a lot out of today and I'm sure our listeners did. Uh, before we go, is there any, um, is there some links that you can share that people can get in touch with you or to go find your book or uh, your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me at uh, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's all under the same name, Divorce Tips from Kids. No periods or anything like that. It's all one word. And uh, my website is divorcetipsfromkids.com. My book is on there. My book's also on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, Where else am I at? Let's see. Podcast is on all podcasting platforms. The title of it is Divorce, What I Wish My Parents Knew. You search that or you search my name, it should pop up. Um, And yeah, I mean, I would just love for you guys to interact with me. So if you want to send me a DM or um have any questions feel free to reach out my emails on my instagram as well but thank you so so much jj and cj for having me on this conversation it seriously was really life-giving to me 
Well, not to worry, guys. We'll have all that information in the show notes, uh, all the books that we talked about, too, on top of all of Grace's information. So uh, thank you again, Grace, for, for joining us today. This was really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys for listening. As you always do, we appreciate your your support. Uh, you can check us out at theadhdads.com. The and uh, we look forward to having you on next week. So thank you. I'm your host, CJ. And JJ's around there somewhere. Sorry, you paused. I'm JJ. <laughs> <laughs> and this has, been with Grace, this has been the ADH Dads with Grace Casper. So thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs>